This is Mind Your Mornings with Anna Chandy, a fortnightly podcast that takes you on the journey to a brave new you. This season, we took a break from psychoeducation. Instead, we decided to look at mental health journeys from within. We spoke to therapists and their clients, people just like you and me, people with stories and secrets. Their transformation is not one-off and neither is it complete. Each of them is on their own unique journey to know themselves better, to discover what really matters to them and to carve a path to achieve it. They were kind enough to give us their time, but more importantly, each of them was brave enough to share their personal story with us. Each of them decided to wear their vulnerability with authenticity. As we bring this season to a close, let's look back at the journey, the why and the how of season two. Clearly, Mind Your Mornings with Anna has made an impact. Over the last year, we've had 46 episodes and more than 18,000 listeners who've been with us on our journey. They have shared constructive feedback that we've used as we went along to help curate the content. With me today, I have Anna, host, therapist, and founder of Anna Chandy and Associates. Today, we will unpack the key takeaways and discuss our learnings. Hi, Anna. Welcome back to your show. How are you today? Hi, Brian. It's good to be back after this break where it, the I had a short break while right. the podcast for re, of recordings of conversations with right. the therapists and their clients took place. Right, right. And what are some of your reflections, Anna, as you were listening to the podcast in this season? Um, I think the first is that I was, uh, you know, curious to uh, understand what was the impact of this phase or this step that we took where the moving away from psychoeducation and having uh, real conversations uh, being recorded. Mm -hmm. And to me, I felt it was, it was very enriching and very satisfying uh, because it highlighted some of my radical beliefs. Uh, The first radical belief, uh, belief being that, uh when you have uh you know you have such rigid boundaries of mm-hmm. what is happening in a therapeutic space mm-hmm. it actually increases the stigma around mental health right. uh instead of normalizing mm-hmm. um so while i do believe that confidentiality is important i think confidentiality is important about the actual narrative, if people don't want to speak about it, but the process of therapy being shared will help other people understand what really happens in that confined space. Uh, They will also see similar threads of when they listen to conversations with regard to their own personal life. And finally, I think it provides hope because you hear these are stories of hope. Mm. Um, So I think Mm. this was very powerful for me that we took this step. Yeah, that's amazing, Anna. So, uh, so, so, what made you decide to interview clients on a podcast? Uh, 
you know, it's clearly not common. Uh, and especially when clients usually prefer to conceal their identities. Um, for example, I know of therapists who are very clear that if they see their client outside, they will not even acknowledge them. So I know there are a lot of questions, but uh, can, can you tell us what, what you think about this? It's actually very interesting that you are you asked me this question because I think having been in this field for three decades, mm. I want to actually just share something of what what were the norms of counseling and therapy 30 years ago. Right. 30 years ago, it was expected that the therapists, especially in India, uh, they were expected to dress in a certain way. Mm. For example, they needed to wear sleeved uh, clothes, not sleeveless, mm -hmm. or their hair needed to be tied up, um, or um, in the th uh, they needed to present themselves in a way that was very stereotypical of a professional in terms of attire. Uh, I never agreed with that because right. I felt that you were boxing people in. You were um actually putting them in a box and expected them to excel and be competent in a even though they were restricted their personality was restricted mm. so i think about so in that decade when you know 20 years ago uh, i started doing things differently i started just wearing the clothes that i liked mm. that was me that shaped my identity that postured my identity Mm -hmm. And I discovered that that didn't change the therapeutic relationship. Right. So in a way, there was a radical change. The next thing I've always heard was the kind of um, seating you have in a therapist's room or the kind of therapeutic rooms that you need to have for counseling. Right. I think if you come to our office, even that's a radical shift. Because I don't think by just sheer seating, equity is maintained. Mm -hmm. I think it's from communication that equity is maintained. It's not because uh, of just sheer seating. So there was a radical change again. And I think this step was yet another radical change to say that there are people who've gone through this therapeutic journey and have the courage and the spirit to speak authentically about their therapeutic journey mm -hmm. and i think that by that i'm saying again they don't need to be governed by the laws of society they need to be governed and guided by their own laws and if they feel the need to speak uh, about an issue that is very prevalent it's mm -hmm. a social issue and yet because it's not spoken about adequately the stigma and the understanding of the issue is not really taking place to its fullest. I think this, to me, the podcast was yet another way of showing that we can do something differently with a purpose to educate, sensitize, and raise the bar of awareness. Right, right. That's interesting. And, and clearly, um, um, the fact that... Uh, yourself and and other associates within Anna Chandi and associates with other associates on the team um, understand and reflect the nuances of in therapy in the Indian context is has been so valuable that's what clients have increasingly come back to us saying 
can you talk a little bit about therapy in the Indian context, how it's different from the Western model and some of those uh, changes? I think the first to understand the therapeutic relationship in an Indian context is we need to understand uh, many cultural uh, mm. elements. For example, we are a collective society, which means we are group people. So uh, a grandmother may accompany her grandson for mm. his counseling. And while she will wait outside in the waiting room for him to finish, she would want her brief five minutes after the session to share her opinion. Right. Now, if the counselor or the therapist doesn't acknowledge the presence of the grandmother and give her that five minutes time, they have lost their primary client who will continue to suffer because they, the, the, the person who accompanied them feels isolated and our family systems are so entangled and enmeshed, which means we don't have such clear boundaries. Our, our boundaries are much more fluid. And that's the first part in cultural sensitivity that we need to understand about the Indian client system. Right. The second thing I think to need to understand is, as I said, because our families are so enmeshed and entangled, mm. um, to the Western world, it can appear that everybody is very nosy mm. uh, and interfering in another's life. Right. But in an Indian family system, I'm, I don't even see it that I'm being nosy. It's coming out of concern, which means... What I want to say is this then leads me to say the th third point in Western psychology, a lot of encouragement is given to individuate as an independent individual. But in our culture, individuation with such harsh or rigid separateness is interpreted by the cultural system as detached and uncaring, right. Right. which leaves this individual who's individuated very alone. They don't have a group to go back to. And we all need someone to go back to. So I think these are some of the broad cultural nuances. The fourth one which I want to talk about is something that we don't talk about in our culture, but it's in our DNA. And a lot of those messages, because it's in our DNA, are implied messages and not explicit messages. Mm -hmm. For example, our hierarchical system. Mm. There is a way we speak to older people or there is a way we are supposed to speak to people who are in higher power, mm. whatever that power is. And so we need to understand these from the nuances. Right. Because they're not explicit. Mm. But when you belong to this culture, you understand it. And the common theme that we hear from all the clients who reach, us, reach out to us from these 40, 42 countries is the Western therapist doesn't understand our families mm, mm. and the complexities of it. Yeah, no, so no. I think this is something that we focus in. And right. I, in fact, yesterday was speaking to an anthropologist, was so excited. She said, finally, I'm meeting somebody who believes what I do because I believe mental health issues are not purely biological. They are psychosocial also. That's interesting. 
psychosocial influences on biology Mm. because personalities are constructs and our personal personality is constructs to cope in layers right 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 and that's what i i think i think that the team and i understand these nuances of culture because you know it's become a passion for the whole lot of us to yeah. understand all these nuances and implied communications yeah no that makes so much sense anna I, in fact i never thought about the difference in this context there's clearly a lot of nuance to these um, decisions and the approach and a blanket rule is often not possible so um, uh, counseling is still clouded in secrecy in india although it's seems to be breaking away from the shackles a little bit uh, we don't openly talk about it to relatives and acquaintances now in this scenario it is very interesting that your clients uh, stepped forward and shared their journeys how do you see um, that development then i think again i see this that our clients we have a large number of a client population between the ages of 25 to 35 mm. and they are different from my generation so my generation believed that you showcase uh, uh, yourself the way society wants to see you right. this generation between 25 to 35 has the courage of their convictions to say that i'm not going to posture myself as mm. expected i'm going to be who i am right and therefore for them to speak on some of the social issues like addiction um or uh, sexuality mm. i think i think these are very powerful conversations and i wish more and more people would encourage such conversations mm. because when you encourage that con- the such conversation it actually helps mainstream society learn to be more inclusive right right and then of course you have the therapists themselves sharing their journeys so openly um which encourages clients themselves to be open and i think it's really as you pointed out all about authenticity um i i also looking back on the season um, every associate uh, team member that we spoke with was clearly very accomplished but what is interesting was they were they were also on their learning journey uh, and i must say that i learned a lot through these interviews uh, and we've covered a lot of challenges and concerns of uh, of clients who have come for therapy i wanted to get your thoughts on them uh, especially as we emerge from this opaque environment to becoming more transparent about our issues um i think addiction as a way to ma- manage emotions was one theme that stayed with me what do you think is the cause is it a growing phenomena or are we just seeing more of it addiction specifically i think i agree with dr vivek benegal when I, which I, when i heard him speak a few weeks ago that addiction is actually a developmental issue mm-hmm. it's a and the the addiction addictive need starts even as a child right. but somehow we always associate addiction with alcohol mm. or now maybe substance but there can be food addictions mm. there can be sex addictions mm. there can be uh technology addictions right um so i think basically addictions is a developmental need and we develop an urge to indulge and engage in an activity 
or a substance or a food hmm. to soothe us. Right. Right. And although the soothing is fleeting, those right. fleeting moments of soothing keeps us or uh, promotes or enables us to keep going back for more. Right. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So what you're saying is addiction uh, can have underlying issues, you know, causes and uh, can, can be an expression of deep anguish. It could be suppressed anger or pain or so many other you know, concerns about being abandoned or rejected. Uh, so that's yeah. interesting. Um, another key issue I remember we focused on was homophobia or even simply the lack of understanding around it. Where do you see this headed uh, in terms of mental health, Anna? I think homophobia is actually very common. Again, many people are homophobic, but they don't speak about it. Hmm. Um, but they engage in what I call microaggressions. Right. And microaggressions is when you tease, ridicule, taunt people who hmm. um, have sexual preferences, who are different. Right. Um, and somehow in workplaces, in family systems, in groups, microaggressions are not accounted for. Hmm. And therefore, the damage microaggressions can cause is not accounted for. Right. How do you know in a room who has what preference? Right. Hmm. Um, and therefore, I think to me, it's important to discuss homophobia because when we hear something like that, we are not able to digest or accept we may need to take that pause and step back and look at ourselves. And that's not just for the general public. It can be for uh, therapists too. Right, right. Yeah. Correct, yeah. So it's re-examining how we feel about issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another theme that stood out for me uh, among all the various topics was the connection between the mind and body. Uh, what is your take on that, Anna? I think we associate especially mental health issues with the brain. I don't think mental health issues are just part associated only with the brain. Mm. I think we need to remember that every cell has memory. And I think there is a huge mind-body connect. Mm. And every cell has memory, which is triggered uh, you know, in an experience. And similar mem memories reactivate. And because these memories are stored in different parts of our body, say in the limb system, in the uh, spinal system, I think there's a deep connect. And therefore, I think it's very important to work holistically and not just look at um, mental health issues as a biological, again, I'm saying just a purely biological issue. We need to look at it as a psychosociobiological issue. Got it. Yeah. Great. So uh, it's been wonderful, Anna, uh, to speak with you. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to host this season of Find Your Morning. Uh, for me, it's been uh, clearly a very different and um, uh, you know experience that has expanded my mind. Uh, and I'm sure that's the case for uh, the listeners as well, because we had such open and authentic sharing from our clients, um, as well as therapists themselves. 
And with that, I hand over the podcast back to you. Thank you. And to my list, to all the listeners, I would say, continue listening to us because we really endeavor to bring in interesting topics uh, and ideas just so that we, as I said, we educate, sensitize and raise awareness among us, not just in India, but across the globe. Because in the end, I think uh, we are all one and we need to be unified. Thank you. This is Mind Your Mornings with Anna Chandy, a fortnightly podcast that takes you on the journey to a brave new you.